Welcome to Just Jiu-Jitsu, episode 65. Here from the Corona Quarantine, the cor- no, the Corona Chronicles, we are establishing a new community via your ears, bonded by Jiu-Jitsu for eternity. Would it, do, you, do you like that intro? Uh, sure. <laughs> I think they had potential. I think you kind of like tripped halfway through. You recovered well, but there was a trip there. There was. So thank you for acknowledging that. Um, yeah, no problem. <laughs> uh, we're uh, we're doing this right now from I'm at my house and you are at the gym right now. You're gonna just yep. record a video for uh, gym's closed, but you're gonna record a video for the people at the school. Yeah, I'll be recording all the classes for the next probably two weeks since I'm having the thing in my wrist operated on, so. Oh, yeah. For people listening, Croyler has a, a little growth buddy in his wrist that is being removed. <laughs> it's like a sixth finger. It's fine. Yeah, it's, it looks like when he, when he puts his hand up to wave to you, it looks like he has two thumbs. Right, right. It's a, it's a ganglion cyst for those of you that care or know what it is. Did, have you, did, you, did you find a way to utilize that when rolling? Like, could you use that sixth finger for anything? I've considered, like, cupping people's eyes with it, you know? Uh-huh. But I, <laughs> I, I, wasn't sh- I wasn't sure what kind of purpose that would give. <laughs> it would be a weird factor. Like, if you did that to me, it certainly would – be. It, it, I don't know if it grossed me out. Yeah, it grossed me out to have you put your bump in my crevice. <laughs> That's a that's a nice way of putting that. Yeah. Um, no, the they used to be called Bible cysts because they used to uh, hit them as hard as they could with a Bible back in the day, and if they explode, your body heals it and it goes away. Mm-hmm. But they don't they don't do that anymore. And considering mine is quite big, um, we're just gonna cut it out. I'm kind of surprised with all the rolling you do that you didn't accidentally hit it once hard enough on the mat for it to do that. I I've hit it purposely as hard as I can on things and it, it hurts for a moment, but it doesn't pop and I've had it drained and I've had all sorts of stuff done to it. It just keeps going back. Mm. What is, what's your, what's your body feeling like right now after over a month of no jujitsu, because you have a lot of, you'll have different nagging injuries cause you're never, I mean, you, you never take breaks. You're always rolling. Are you feeling sluggish and like bad because you haven't rolled or do you feel like you've recovered and you're just ready to go now i feel horrible um because there's a factor of things that leads up to that answer one um i feel fat and out of shape because i haven't been training uh two i feel sluggish because i'm you know reading and watching tv far more than normal and then and three um you know i don't feel pain in my body so i'm not quite sure I'm, I'm alive so it's been the first time in years that i've been pain-free so are you happy with the exchange of no let of trading the, <laughs> the pain from your body uh for the pain in your heart for not doing no. jujitsu no if i if, if i'm not constantly hurting from something i'm not quite sure i'm alive so no i'm, I'm not happy with that exchange <laughs> Well, when we all get back here, we're not, we'll have plenty of excuses to be out of shape, but no excuses for na- uh, nagging injuries. Oh yeah, no. I'm gonna when I come back, I'm gonna come back hard, and it's gonna I'm gonna get those nagging injuries coming right back, and so I know I'm, I'm good to go. And you bring up a good point. 
I, I don't want to roll with you for a while just because it's going to be, you're going to have a lot of just tension and energy just built up that you're trying to get out. Yeah. It just needs to be released. You're not going to help me release my, my uh, pent up energy. Listen, <laughs> I might, I might let you put your bump in my crevice, but I'm not letting you release that energy. Oh, oh okay. All right. I, I feel that's kind of selfish, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so you're doing uh since you we can't have class you have like you mentioned been making videos for the school how mm-hmm. how many uh just for people listening so they have an idea have you been doing like a video a week what has been your your format so i so i've been uploading a video every day um since this closed i think i missed the first week because we weren't sure how how long we we're going to be shut down I think once the week mark hit in, I started uploading videos. Um, and then it's one week, one video a day. And then we cover a, a small unit for seven days. So it's a small subject for seven days and we kind of move on. Um, I, so I upload those to our, our private group on Facebook and they are also uploaded to our member portal on um, our, you know, website. So that people can log in, they can see there. When I upload them to our member portal, I, I add a little bit, a couple notes and things that people should be aware of with each technique as well. Nice. And like, what kind of stuff have you been? What kind of videos have you been putting out there? Um, we've done. I think we've done close guard. We've done butterfly. We did half guard passing, spider guard passing. Uh, we're currently doing leg locks. Um, I think next week we might do some back attacks and then, you know, we might do either like neon belly or do like a highly specialized clinic on either triangles or omoplatas and kind of develop that for a minute. So after, after being kind of forced to make videos uh, for techniques, has your stance on them changed at all? No. Still, no, I think, I think, I think, you know, to me, like there's no matter how well a video is done or who, who is teaching or recording or editing those videos, there's, there's the most crucial element that will always be missed, which is the, the feel component. You know, um, you can have somebody that explains the technique super well, the video can be recorded and done perfectly so you can see every angle and notice every detail. But at the end of the day, if you can't feel jujitsu, it's very hard to truly, truly master it. Um, and, and, and like I mentioned before, to me, at best, videos, instructionals should be, at best, a, a makeup to your regular jujitsu. And if you don't have a, a good regular jujitsu, a good base, it's like putting makeup on somebody who's just batshit ugly, you know? Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, it's just well-colored, batshit ugly, not necessarily <laughs> pretty, so... Um, I think if you're somebody, if you're somebody who trains regularly and, and you're, you have an instructor that you can ask questions and get feedback on and you're currently, you know, consistently improving, having a video added to your, to your, um, to your repertoire may help, may help boost and advance some things. But at the end of the day, it'll never substitute training in person. What challenges have you found while trying to translate the techniques that you have always been teaching people in person to a video? Um, that, that hasn't been too bad, really, because at the end of the day, I'm just teaching, right? Mm-hmm. I'm just demonstrating a technique and kind of walking people through. I think the, the, 
it's not so much a challenge for me as I think it is as a um, a lack of I, I can't be as thorough because I cannot give immediate feedback, right? So I don't get to see you practicing it and go, okay, this is good, but you need to fix this angle or shift this here. So you may end up practicing this whole time in quarantine these videos with small mistakes here and there and develop a habit that is incorrect over the break that when you come back, I will have to break you of that habit to then build it correctly. So because I don't have an ability to do an immediate feedback, there's always the risk that those videos could lead to, you know, bad habits being developed. Sure. Are you teaching, are you using these videos as a continuation of your curriculum you've been doing, or is this just kind of a non sequitur on its own Island of things? Yeah, no, this is just, this is just on its own. Um, the, the, our member portal just got updated and they've done some pretty cool updates on my side of things, which allows me to categorize videos. So it's something that over the years I could add videos and kind of put them all into our sequences and have all of our curriculums like added on there and listed. And you could see like, like when we did our lasso and it was like 54 techniques, I could have 54 videos underneath lasso and you can kind of follow them, you know? Um, but, but that's something maybe for long-term, you know, um, for now, these videos are, are literally, they're just crash courses. These are just kind of, to me, one-on-ones, you know, you just one-on-one in every position that you should know. And it's advanced enough for the color belts that they can either drill, pick up some details or just, you know, remember. And it's basic enough that the white belts and low level blue belts don't get lost. I was going through some of the videos that you made and one of them was Nino's Pass. Yeah. I don't remember if we've discussed that much on this podcast, but it, it's a, it's an effective pass that I, for, a lot of people either don't know what it is or forget about it, or maybe they're doing a version of it, just not knowing what it is exactly. Could you explain Nino's pass to us and we can kind of go through what, why that's so, such a good technique. So, you know, Nino's pass, like, you know, I refer to it as that cause I, I learned it from Nino Shambri, um back when I was a brown belt and it's, it's a open guard passing technique. Um, it works for any style of open guard from butterfly to X to De La Hiva to spider guard, you name it, it will always function. So it's, it's a semi-universal pass. And um, it's a very aggressive, very Nino style pass where it's meant to be, it's based on explosive movements and pressure. Um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? Uh, pressure incentive, you know, you're, here you're motivated by the pain and, and, and all that. Um, the, the idea of Nino's pass, you know, the difference from most passes is that instead of going around the guard, which generally speaking is what every guard does, they go around the guard or they modify the guard enough to take advantage of it and then lock it into place and walk around. Nino's pass kind of flips that on its head and we go through the guard. So we don't actually go around the legs or we don't control the legs. We just go right through them into the belly, side mount, top mount, depending on how they react to it. And is it something that people, when you teach to them, do they pick up fast or does it take a while for that to be something to adopt into some of the game? I think the overall, um, the overall um, 
technique, yes. I think the finer details, I think that takes time, which is part of the reason why we focus on one technique a week, like in the school, um, or you know, one or two fit techniques are a little bit easier. Um, but there's a lot of nuances that need to be mastered in that pass because it does cover such a wide array of different guards that if you don't know all the little details, um, you'll fall prey to those guards. Are there certain types of people that usually succeed more with Nino's pass? I think people that are naturally, uh, people that give less of a fuck naturally do better. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and and, and ex explain that. Why, why is that the case? Um, because there's this, there's a little bit of pain compliance that's executed with the technique and a little bit of an explosive behavior that uh, will function better if you don't care as much about your training partner. Basically, the more careful you are with your partner, the less effective this pass gets. Um, and it's one of those things that, you know, you're always told to be a good partner. So if you're being overly careful, the pass itself is not very good. So you, you kind of have to care a little bit less about your partner's health and well-being in order for this pass to be successful. It doesn't mean that you're going to hurt them. It just means that you're accepting that you may hurt them, you know. Can you do it right if you don't hear your partner go, when you when that knee connects with them? <laughs> um, can you do it technically right? Yes. Practically right? Maybe not. I think you can do every step without um, being overly aggressive, but when when the chips you know when it's for all the marbles as dr how puts it and it's it's when it's supposed to count and everybody's fighting 100 percent. like you do need a little bit of that aggression in there mm -hmm. and, and with with the pass after you connect knee to the their chest you then uh like knee slice through right is that what you'd call well, it you um i no, we're not knee slicing once we connect knee to chest we're stepping over the leg and basically we end up with a pseudo neon belly where our foot, the knee and belly foot is caught between their legs. And while we could force a knee slide from there, while we could force a mount from there, we, we generally speaking don't, we just apply knee and belly pressure from there. And then your partner will have to decide which way, you know, he wants to go to defend that knee and belly. Most people will turn into it, expose themselves to knee slides so you can get to side, but you know, others they'll panic hard enough. They'll give up mount too. Hmm. And it, for some reason in my head, did we do a variation where you, where you would connect and then you slide your knee through or we did, am I so mixing I, that I, up I, with something else? No, no, we did that. We talked about when somebody moves a lot or if they're connecting shin to shin blocking the, the Nino, Nino's pass, you can transfer into a knee slide. And, and it's actually one of the videos that's up in our system right now. I think it's like the second or third video down, maybe fourth video down from Nino's. And uh, that's how that's how I deal with when somebody finds a way to defend or counter or just create difficulties against my Nino's pass. So then I switch off into an e-slide from there. All right, let's switch to another question. These are uh, these are all just things I've thought of over the past week. The, we no listener questions yet. Uh, these are Andrew Sweet. questions. Um, okay. I was I was going through and uh, reading different articles and forums and so someone was talking about lasso guard and they brought mm -hmm. up like what are they supposed to do when they have a good well, not say good but when they're trying to do lasso guard and people just always just 
pull right out of it. Is it is it that <laughs> is it that their grips are too weak? Are they what are they doing that just allows people to like go? Oh, that's cute. I'm done. The the answer I'd like to give is that they have weak ass hands, but that's that's not true. Um, it can it could be true, but um, so the the what it comes down to when we talk about like the lasso grip for lasso guard. Um, the reason why some people struggle and others don't is um, elbow placement, right? So the hand that's creating the lasso grip, that elbow should be tied to tied against your rib cage. And the reason for that is because that is where you're mechanically strongest. Okay. That means your arm will not budge from that spot. You're using your dorsal to keep it in place. So your hand then just becomes a closing apparatus, right? which your, your grip strength is actually very powerful. Even if you have a particularly weak grip, it's still stronger than you think. What happens is most people, when they do the lasso guard, their elbow separates from the rib cage and it's usually extended in the air or closer to their belly. Um, and, and that separation is a problem. Why? Because you, now it means that your opponent, remember you're connecting your hand to their hand, right? There's only so much length between the two of you. It means that if your elbow is separated from your rib cage, it means that your opponent's arm is closest to their rib cage, right? It means that they have more mechanical power to pull and yank than if your elbow is against your rib cage and their elbow is exposed. So the further your elbow gets away from your body, the stronger your opponent gets and the weaker you become. You see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So if you keep your elbow tight, tight against your rib cage, it'll be a hundred times harder to rip that grip, you know, uh, anybody from to rip that grip from there. I see why it's easy for your elbow to separate because you're doing something that naturally makes you want to separate because you have your one arm up and your leg comes over that arm right. and it, and it just kind of bows that, that elbow away, but you've got to keep right. that close. Right. Remember, you, your leg needs to go over their arm, not your arm. So you need to pull your arm out of the way by pulling it into your body so that your leg can go over their arm only, not the other way around. But that's a common thing, right? You know, when you're fighting and grappling, there's going to be a little bit of a give and take on both sides. And it could lead to, you know, your, your elbow not being in the right place. And then if both of your elbows are exposed and neither, neither person have their elbow in the perfect position, it becomes a muscular fight. Whoever's strongest can win that fight. If there's much of a height disparity between you and the person you're doing it to, is it worth still fighting for it or should you try? Oh, yes. Absolutely. No, absolutely. The height, height difference won't matter in lasso. Even, so if, you're, if you have someone who's tall and big that you're going against, that, that shouldn't deter you from attempting it? No, no, not at all. Because it's, it's easier sometimes, I think, on the taller person than on the smaller person. Uh, why is there's that? Because there's more room to weave your leg through versus somebody who's shorter. They may be closer to you and less, less space. Mm. All right. So then it can you do it the opposite way? If you're very large and someone's very small, how does, how does you that can. work? You can, but there's always going to be a little bit of that difficulty because there's less space. You know, it's like... For you to find a, a, a gap big enough to, to escape from somebody's position, you require a much smaller gap than, than I would, you know. So, yeah, there's a little bit of that body play that comes into effect there. Um, yeah, if you're somebody much larger, trying to do somebody who's much smaller, 
there will be an increased level in difficulty, but it doesn't mean it's impossible. You're just going to have to play the game a little better. All right, let's hop over to the listener mailbag. (laughs) (laughs) By royal decree, 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 His Majesty, 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 declares it is time for the listener mailbag. Bring the lions. Lions come out. There's a big goat in the middle of this coliseum, and the lions jump on the goat, and they, they, they shred it to pieces. And inside the goat's stomach, there's the listener mailbag. You're saying that our listener's email is like haggis. Yes, that's, yeah, that's how you want to look at it, yes. Okay, this email is from Jack. Jack says, I've heard from various sources that studying matches is an important part of developing your game, but as a white belt with only a few months of experience, I often find it difficult to follow high-level matches. For example, I understand Keenan Cornelius is a quote-unquote good jiu-jitsu player, but I don't know anything about Wormguard, and I understand it would be better for me to focus on more basic techniques. So analyzing his matches is difficult for me and might not be useful in developing my game until I have more experience. Are there any matches or competitors in particular you would recommend white belt study in order to develop a better understanding of basic techniques, principles, and strategies? I think it's a good question because a lot of people watch, start out and you watch videos and they, they come to jujitsu and they try the craziest shit because you notice when you, when you're watching people roll, what you notice is a new person is the really fun flashy stuff. And that's what you're going to try to do. You're not going to go, Oh, <laughs> I like how he just kept his elbow in and just laid like this for a little bit. Like, right. Yeah. So I, 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 yeah. Um, I think as far as competitors to watch, I think you can watch any of like, uh, Haja Gracie stuff. It's all very fundamental. It's all pretty much jujitsu one-on-one. It's, it's stuff that a blue belt would know. And I think, um, it's just done at such a high level of precision and accuracy that, he doesn't fail. So I think he's a, the, the best person for beginners to watch because all the stuff that he does is stuff that realistically you can learn right away. Maybe not to his level, but you can learn those techniques. You know what I mean? Like you watch Kenny Cornelius and he's doing warm guard. It may be a while before you see warm guard, learn warm guard, but an arm bar from guard, on the other hand, you're going to learn that right away. A cross choke from mount, you're going to learn that right away. So I, I think any of Hajar's stuff is, is worth watching. Um, the uh, the other guy to watch is Marcelo Garcia. Um, even though he does do a little bit more advanced stuff in, in X-Guard and Butterfly and so on, a lot of his game is very minimalist. Um, it's a lot of uh, north and south chokes and guillotines and rear nakeds, which are techniques you're going to learn right away. So you can kind of see how he moves. And then even in the more advanced positions, he's still doing the most fundamental techniques in those positions. You know, he's not doing technique 35 X guard. He's doing techniques one and two, you know? Um, but the, the other advice I have is rather, especially as a beginner, rather than trying to watch a high level match and break down every individual technique and trying to understand what they're doing and how they're doing. Um, it is better, I think, to look for patterns of behavior than necessarily how to break down and understand these techniques that you don't even know exist, you know? So, um, 
if you look at just the, the overall behavior pattern, you can learn a lot. So let's say you don't know how to deal with warm guard. That's fine. So you look at a behavior of uh, you watch a lot of Keenan's matches and you see, okay, where was he most, you know, how many people was he successful getting warm guard in? And which people were, was he not successful in getting warm guard in? What is the difference, right? And maybe you don't know exactly what they're doing, but you can notice maybe their legs, maybe they're on their knees the whole time. Then Keenan couldn't get warm guard. Maybe they, maybe they pulled guard and they said, screw it. Maybe that's the best answer for defending against warm guard is just not to go into it, right? So you can look at those behaviors and you can kind of learn from them. And like I said, not learn the specific techniques and, and the steps and all that, but at least just answers like you look at um, guys like Felipe Pena. You know, you may not know what he's doing, but you got to ask the question of how come Gordon could never, you know, heel hook him, you know, or has not yet heel hooked him. They fought twice and Pena had behaved the same way two times and was able to avoid leg locks from probably one of the best grapplers on the planet. So, like, you don't have to understand exactly what he's doing, just the overall behavior. You know, is he defending the Gordon's leg lock attacks differently than other people that were, that were caught? You know, how are they doing that? How is he doing that? So, Okay. So there's some, some stuff to look for, Jack, when you're trying to find videos and then just an idea of how to analyze them. Uh, we're going to close up the listener mailbag. Zip. Um, pull, there's, I walk up to a, to a river. I pull out a fish with my bare hand. I put the listener envelope in its mouth and then put the fish back in the water and it swims off. And I say, go fish, deliver this knowledge to someone else. And then he goes wow. down river. So maybe another yeah. podcast can use that if they want it. Uh, sure. <laughs> all right. Before we go here, let's do a little role playing. We haven't done some role playing for a while. Oh my God. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right. We're going to do a Corona themed role play. Okay. Imagine yourself. You're in your local grocery store, whichever one's closest to your house. And okay. you're walking down the cereal aisle. Uh, so usually that's going to be the one that's in the middle of the store. Uh, you're, you're, you're looking for, uh, what's, what's a cereal you usually will get? I don't eat cereal. Okay. So you're, you're looking for some waffle crisp and as you walk, you notice on the opposite end of the, uh, the aisle, a lady's walking down like, and she looks particularly sick and, She's just got this very lethargic posture and she's just, it looks like she's supporting all her weight by the cart in front of her. And she's slowly just coming towards you coughing. Mm -hmm. What do you do? I mean, is this like a, like a real life or is this like I make believe? I don't know. I've I've given you a a scenario where I guess we can just see what happens. Well, yeah, so it's real life. She's I, she's walking, coughing up. <laughs> I guess I'd give her the shittiest look, turn around and let her die in the aisle. Okay, so you turn around. As you turn around and start to walk, three other people are coming down the other side of the aisle. <laughs> <laughs> all coughing and sneezing and just mucusy. They all look very balmy and like they have a fever. Mm-hmm. You are now surrounded by three people on one side 
and you look back to the lady and there are now five more people coming down that aisle. So, so I'm going to ask the question of, uh, is this Corona? Because like, if it is Corona, you know, with my immune system, I'd, I'd probably be okay. Mm-hmm. There's no reason to do anything extreme, but if it's something worse, then maybe I should. But it's, you don't know. You know that it could be Corona. <laughs> While you have a good immune system, you don't know if your wife or your family has a good immune system. And so uh-huh. you're going to have to make that calculation. What do you do when you're having the, her- the hordes come towards you? Uh, you, I guess- well, you kick the, kick the lady's cart into her. And okay. then as she topples over, you just walk right over her body. You kick the car. It hits her in the chest. She falls over. The cart rolls over her. But now there are 12 people behind her, and they're all walking towards you. Very, the aisle is so congested, you no longer can see a way out from front to back. You only see yeah. these, these shelves on each side of you. Then you just crawl up on the shelves, and you walk over them. So as you crawl up on that shelf, you now can see over the whole span of the store, and it is packed with you can't even count there are probably a thousand people in there and you Mm -hmm. don't know where to go and you're looking around but you hear young man young man grasp my hand and you see from the ceiling tiles above you and the fluorescent lights one of the ceiling tiles moved aside and this this elderly but thick forearm and hand come out and reach for you so uh, okay so you're you have all the people around you sick you have this guy saying here like grab my hand come with me what what, what are you doing i guess i'll get his hand if he thinks he can hold my big ass up surprisingly you are pulled up into this area and you are now through the ceiling and he says welcome i've i've helped you escape from the land of the ill and do you have anything to, to say to him uh, thanks i think okay he says uh i am i am lord purell wizard of disinfectant and cleanliness <laughs> and and he, he clearly you recognize him. Oh, my God. You, you rec- take notes on this before you put this together? Or you just, you know, on the fly? <laughs> just on the fly. You, you recognize him. He, he, he's the, the deli manager. But he, he looks like he's been up here for a while. And he still has his deli, like, polo shirt on and apron. But he has Kleenex, bo- Kleenex boxes that he's, like, cut to make, like, a – it's like a wizard-style helmet or hat. And – he has rubber gloves, and he's taken all – it looks like he's probably taken the Purell sticker off all of the bottles, and he's pasted them all over his body. And he has no pants on, so they're just – they're pasted all over him. It's clearly he's been up there for a long time. Okay. But he says, here, let me bless you. And so he squirts you with Purell. Okay. And he says, rub them in. And so how do you rub your hands when you have the Purell on them? We just want to make sure you're doing this right. Like any normal human. Yeah, but there's, I mean, you got to make sure you're getting all the nooks and crannies and wrinkles. Yeah, no, I think I think I got it. I have saved your life. You now owe me your life. And in order to get out of this world, back to your home, you will have to do a quest for me. Okay. This quest revolves around you finding 
my lost love who works in the dairy department. She is known as the queen of ice cream. She is in Dean Prairie Farmland, and it's in the back yeah. cooler on the north wall. You must go save her from Gerald, the uh, stock boy who is obviously very ill and has her cornered in the freezer. Okay. So he gives. Or I just take, or I just take the Purell, set the whole store on fire, and walk over the corpses and leave. Do you have matches? I'm, I'll sure I'll find something. It's a grocery store. <laughs> yeah, but to get to those matches, you'd have to go. You're back to your problem before. You have to go through the herd of the well, herd of. I'm gonna have, I'm gonna have to go through them anyways to get to this thing you're talking about. Well, that's where you're wrong. He gives you a he gives you a map, which is a it's a old paper grocery bag that clearly is written in shit um and it shows how to get to the freezer and so you can you can take oh. some back ways to get to that freezer area okay well then maybe i'll do that all right and he says before you leave let me bless you with with a kiss <laughs> <laughs> that's a solid no <laughs> and, 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 and he grabs he grabs you by both sides of the head and just ever so gently just kisses your forehead. No, I don't, says, think that's, I don't think that's happening. And says, <laughs> go with God, my son. And as you turn away to go, he just he gives you a little tap on the butt. Yeah, I, I don't know if that would happen quite like that. All right, we're, we're, we'll call it quits for now. I think, <laughs> I think that's a good place to leave it. And, All right. And uh, <laughs> until next week, just, just think, about, think about this and how you want to proceed. All right, sounds good. <laughs> All right, see ya.